Hello and welcome to Conversations with Q. I'm Lucia Fontana Powell, Q's Community Marketing Manager, and I'll be interviewing our favourite marketers and entrepreneurs to learn about them and from them. Now, before we get stuck into our first interview, I just wanted to explain why we launched this podcast series. How many times have you finished, or not finished, reading a blog post and felt like you've heard it all before? We get it. The more content there is out there, the harder it is to bring something new to the conversation. At Q, that's what we think is most important, the conversation. So that's why we launched this podcast, so we can sit down and have a proper chat with our friends and role models in the tech space and beyond. We hope that this will inspire your own professional journey and give you genuinely effective, actionable tips and tricks to apply to your marketing strategy. All delivered straight to your ears so you can tune in wherever you are and whatever you're doing. I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I've enjoyed making it. So without further ado, let's kick off episode one. For our first ever episode, we have not one, but two very special guests who I happen to know rather well. I'm delighted to welcome Daniel Kemp and Matthew Spur on the show, two incredibly dynamic entrepreneurs with a number of business ventures under their belts, and best known for founding our very own Q. I'm lucky enough to have worked for Matt and Dan for nearly two years now, but I didn't pick them as our first Qcast guest because it was the easy option. I consider myself very fortunate to be part of a team like Q for a number of reasons, but I've always been particularly impressed by the way Matt and Dan run the company, combining their natural knack for business with a management style that's both modern and motivating. So in this episode, I'm going to pick their brains about how they got to where they are now, their advice for other entrepreneurs and business owners, and their thoughts on the current marketing landscape. Hello. 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 Oh, yes. Are we actually connected? We have a full house. Oh, brilliant. Um, so yeah, to kick things off, I think it would be really interesting for our listeners to hear more about your backgrounds, because uh, I know you've both done some really interesting and diverse things before you founded Q. So can you tell us a little more about your lives and careers pre-Q? Uh, shall I go first? Yeah, go on. Okay. <laughs> uh, so yeah, obviously I've always been interested in the sort of computer side of things um, as, a, as a young boy. Um, I started off in Royal Mail, so the uh, postage company in in England, if there's uh, any US people listening. Mm-hmm. Um, I basically, I was a touch typist at the time, which has obviously helped me with my computing skills, ridiculously fast at typing, really, really fast. I'm like Usain Bolt mm-hmm. of typing. <laughs> <laughs> um, after doing that for a few years, um, basically, it just wasn't going anywhere. There was literally like no progression. Um, so I decided to go and work with my dad as a builder. Again, I didn't really see myself doing it long term. Just it was just to get out of Royal Mail really at the time. Uh, again, as as I was doing that, I was still learning computing and design and things like that, doing some more photography things, which obviously led me into wedding photography and doing some like designs and logos on the side. After the building. I went into well, trying to find a more like stable career, something more with a with a with a more with a, with a more of a future, and I got into telecommunications and networking, and I started working for the NHS doing that, 
Um, after about five years doing that, again, it just it felt like in that job there wasn't any progression. I was almost at the top of it already um, in terms of what money I could earn. Um, and in the meantime, I was building out my design work uh, and started working with Matthew doing designs here and there for, for clients that he was working with. And obviously that relationship blossomed uh, quite quickly and realized that we could potentially do something together. And, you know, we started talking about various ideas, including that of Q, um, mm-hmm. as well as a branding agency that we started together, which uh, started off really well, but then went downhill quite, quite quickly with people not paying <laughs> and things like that. <sighs> but that's business. It's always, it's very hard, you know, nothing ever comes nothing ever comes easy and we know that from experience yeah you have to work for it definitely well that's i've definitely learned some new things about you there um i especially like the usain bolt of typing i think that should be your new twitter bio it could be yeah (laughs) i i I think dan is also sort of under egging it a little bit because he he's actually he's probably like the man of most talents that i know yeah. I, I don't think there's anything he can't do <laughs> I'm not just sort of blowing smoke here but like he's like a full-on like carpenter builder plumber um I think he's not very good at baking but like he, he's <laughs> candlestick candlestick making is probably like up there with his skills so he, he just does everything and what about you Matt um well I was doing um I went to university after school and did a languages degree there wasn't particularly like any like vocational calling per se I just I just really fancied like being able to study languages and travel um so I I did Italian and Spanish and um it's about as much use as a chocolate teapot in the world of work um really (laughs) so after after university I'd applied for a few jobs um and got rejected it was very competitive at the time and we were approaching a, a double dip recession in the economy so people weren't hiring all that sort of freely Um, but I was offered a position, uh, at a big international PR firm in Cardiff where they had one of the offices. And so I was really excited about that. And I turned up to Cardiff, um, I'd, I'd traveled from Nottingham and I'd got a place to stay and looking forward to starting my first day at this big company and suited and booted. And they said, Oh, sorry, did our HR person not, um, contact you? I was like, Oh God. They're like, uh, and and I was like, nope, nobody's contacting me. It's like, well, because of the double dip recession, the company's like put out a policy where they're not, we're not taking on any more people. And they said, in fact, we're actually lay, laying off people. So I was like, oh great. Um, and and basically, I went back home and lived lived with my parents because I, there's nothing I could do. I was left stranded, um, but a little bit disillusioned with sort of the world of work and trying to work for other people found myself sort of signing on for the dole which is like a job seekers allowance in the UK mm-hmm. and um it was like on my way to pick up a a measly paycheck that um my mum actually helped insp- helped me um be inspired for my idea for a, my first company um and that was um actually a, a public relations company so it was in the same um field of what I was going to do at this company that that let me down and hide and fired me before I'd started um because I, I, I when I did the work experience there I, I was like these guys are having a laugh this is easy um I could do this myself so I said all right I'm going to start a digital PR agency but I'm going to pick a niche that I know which was poker 
basically mm-hmm. thanks to my misspent youth at university. Um, <laughs> so I did I did public relations for poker professionals, and it ma- it made sense because it's a a very cash rich market. There are people with, um, and I'm sure most of the poker players out there would agree, massive egos, um, and they you know there's a lot of money to be made because there was lots of sponsorship. So um, if I could raise profiles of, of poker players and get them sponsorship deals that's that's worth something to them yeah. and so i started this company with my friend and i i asked him for five thousand pounds seed capital to start me off and i and i basically went around making a business plan and, and i did it all very properly I, I i pitched him made a presentation and he was like okay yeah let's let's do it um and i basically spent about three thousand of that going to vegas <laughs> that initial capital uh just yeah. to try and find clients and that really worked um I, I signed like a world champion poker player and a few other people signed on because we had him on the books and and a long ish story short i um managed to sell that company a year and a half later um to one of the clients of the, of the company at the time who just fancied um branching out into the world of work himself so it wasn't life-changing amount of money, but it was enough to sort of float my um, career for a, a couple of years. Um, now that I'd got the bug for entrepreneurism and teaching myself skills, and, um, you know, I'd sort of taught myself like web web design and PR and uh, all these things. So I started my own little company, like a consultancy working for local businesses. And that was where I, I sort of crossed paths with Dan and as he said, um, he was designing me logos and sites and things like that. And he was just, he was like the go-to person that I, I sort of found and was like, yes, I, I know I can rely on Dan to give me like exactly what I need first time. And we just sort of clicked. And it was nice because I was in Bristol and he was down in, in Plymouth at the time, which is relatively close. Um, so it was good to work with someone local. Um, and and we, we we had like a few ideas that we, we tried pitching people for, like... Um, we had an idea called resell my service and we got rejected. Yeah, it was a good idea. It was just a little bit too big um, for the investors. Um, I think they couldn't quite get their head around it, but um, they turned us down and me and Dan decided to like start a branding company because the investors said, well, we're sorry we can't invest in this idea that you've got, but if if there's any consolation, like your, your documentation that you bought is so well designed, you should start a branding company together. So we were like, (laughs) okay, let's do it. (laughs) So we did. Um, And and, they were our first uh, client as well. Yeah. And they were our first clients. So it was very cool. Um, And we, you know, it tied the disabled for about a year, but um, this was really where like Dan had come up with um, the idea for Q and, and he'd approached um, Mubs, um, a well-known developer in the, the product hunt community, and uh, and and then and then Q was born. So, what made you actually um, decide on the idea for Q? Was it just sort of how did you see that gap in the market at the time? I think um, when we were obviously running the branding agency, we were looking obviously and using that as a way to generate leads. Mm. And we actually used the company. I can't remember what they called, Matt, but. We paid a couple of hundred pounds a month and all they did was basically um, find a few pieces of content and they would potentially brand a few things with cues, uh, sorry, not cues, infinite visions, brands on it. Um, but they did a really poor job and it was really expensive, a couple hundred pounds. Mm. And at the same time, Buffer, uh, they sort of provided content suggestions, but it was very limited, maybe only five or six a day. And it was only across about five or six categories 
and I just thought there's a really good there's a really good opportunity for someone to offer up content across you know hundreds of categories but then also so for others to share but then also for for people to actually get their content into that bank of content they could pay to do so because the, the, the reason that came about was like oh I wonder if I could put my content into the buffers content suggestions I was like oh you know that there's an idea yeah. and obviously got on got onto slack with Matt and you know we, we hashed out so yeah. how long did it take you to like from the point where you had the idea to the point where you got funding for it was that process uh what a month that's quite um fun. yeah it's like maybe like a couple of months yeah, yeah. crazy so, yeah we, yeah we just basically talked about the idea talked to mubs he built it in like a weekend because he's like crazy crazy clever and uh, like an amazing <laughs> yeah. developer. um had the first like version out where it could work you know, straight away started obviously networking with a lot of people to build out the categories with all the content uh Put it on product term beta list. Got no, actually, we went to beta list first, didn't we? we got our first like three hundred potential signups, and then that's when we went to try and get funding because we knew that we're at the end of Infinite Visions. We needed we needed money to go full time because otherwise we'd have to go back to a job as well as try yeah. to run this. We thought we're, we're going to put all our eggs in one basket. Let's go get some funding, and we did, and we got it straight away. I think like what saved time in that process was the fact that we didn't take sort of three months to write a business plan. Yes. We literally yeah. wrote down the pertinent details, you know, on, you could almost put it on the back of an envelope. Um, yeah. And we're armed with that when we went into the pitch. And it was, it was a simple idea, a simple pitch uh, with a little bit of proof, you know, a bit of social proof. Mm. And, uh, and that seemed to, to do really well. So there was no time wasted yet. Yeah, I guess that's just the sign of a good product, really, is if it if you can explain it that succinctly. So I think it's really interesting, your kind of relationship with each other and the way you guys, you mentioned earlier that you're kind of the perfect fit. Um, can you describe your respective roles at Q today and kind of how you work together? And I'd also be interested to know whether you think it's better to start a company with a co-founder as opposed to just going solo. I would say definitely. <laughs> I, I think it depends on the person. I mean, like uh, for for me and Dan, yes, like we both of us prefer using each other as a sounding board, and you have that support, and you know, two minds are better than one, and all that. But it does depend. Like some people just work better on their own, and they 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 find it annoying when other people try to get involved with what they're doing. But you know, I think it, I think there's no correct answer to that. Yeah in my opinion, but what do you reckon, Dan? Yeah, I, I think if you're reasonably new to, to this whole world of startups, I think you're better off co-founding with someone. You can go through all those trials and tribulations together because mm. there's so many things that will pop crop up that you need to get through. And it just helps having two people to do that. Um, if you've yeah. already you know, been successful, you've potentially had an exit with a, with a successful startup, and you're thinking about doing it again, then that's probably where you could do it on your own if you really wanted to, because then you could just mm -hmm. build out an early team to do those, you know, little remedial tasks for you and things. But uh, mm. I, I would definitely um, continue to build products with someone. I think it's just fun to have that conversation, the early conversations, thinking about where it go. Mm. 
Definitely. And I mean, I guess it helps from a business perspective because you've got someone to bounce ideas off and also maybe just tell you if an idea isn't so good and they might have a different perspective. Um, but also, I guess, the kind of emotional aspect of it as well. You know, starting a business isn't always easy and it helps to have a companion there. Yeah, and I think if you, you hit the nail on the head. Yeah, yeah, and if you were planning on getting funding, they will want you to have a team. They'll, they'll yeah. want a team. Yeah. yeah. Cool. They, they do. They want to see someone technical. They want to see someone with some marketing know-how. Um, and they want to normally see someone that's sort of like an ideas man with a vision and whatever. But I think you hit the nail on the head by saying it's like that sort of level of support that you get from having right. someone else to work with. Because it is, it's a really emotional, quite stressful thing to do a startup. Sure. Um, highs and lows. And but, yeah. having someone else to share that with does like re- relieve the burden a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would also say like, be careful who you do co-found with because, because obviously me and Matt have, have a prior relationship and we can, we can be honest and open with each other without getting, you know, I'm going to swear here, pissed off with each other. Yeah. You know, I can, I can you say did to Matt. swear. <laughs> it's allowed, don't worry. <laughs> I'm going, I'm going to swear here. So. Uh, right. You know, I can say, like you could, I could tell you an idea. You know, I'm thinking it's like the next best thing. And then you could come up with a reason why it's not. And I'm not going to get annoyed about that because, oh yeah, you, you, you're the best. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not going to get annoyed about it because I know that whatever our decisions are, our, our discussions are about, is for the best of the company. So that's what you yeah. need to think of when you're when you're going through decisions with a co-founder, whether they're your like prior friends or not. Well, it's like the other day, like in the chat, Lucia, with in Slack, me and Dan talking, and he was like, "Oh, that that that's a that's another business." Yeah. I was like, oh boy, here he goes again. Because <laughs> Dan is literally like, I did McGee. He's just always yeah. coming up with stuff. And it's like, it's awesome. And like most of the time I think, yeah, that's wicked. But sometimes I do, I, I do say like, that was a, a bit of a, a bit of a fail there, Dan. <laughs> no, but I've always really admired that about you guys actually is your ability to be completely honest with each other. And it, does, it doesn't matter if you disagree. You chose to make you a 100% remote team. What was the reason for that decision and how do you manage employees without sharing an office with them? I think for, for us, because obviously Matt was in Bristol, I'm in Plymouth. Um, and, you know, I've got a family here and Matt has Steph and she had a job there. It was really hard to find a place where we could actually have an office. Um, and also to save money, it makes more sense just to work remotely, work from home. I mean, and we know we, we, yeah, sorry, we can get so much, we, we know we can get as much done working remotely. So, yeah. I think like also we were sort of used to working with one another remotely anyway, because yeah. I was yeah. using Dan as a freelancer before. And then we, then we just sort of drifted into that branding business and, and we got used to working remotely there. So it was sort of like what we knew. Um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, there's nothing you can't do remotely. Um, play rock paper scissors um <laughs> but i suppose you could do that on skype but um I'm yeah sure i mean i a slack version of that i'm sure like, we could i'm sure we could with gifts or something yeah. with gifts oh yeah. my god that will be amazing <laughs> okay that's a that's a business idea actually yeah. Dan. Like a, yeah. write that down it's at least 20, um, 20 a month <laughs> <laughs> yep <laughs> subscription business i but i think also with like remote working you avoid a lot of um the quite hefty fees that you can incur 
um, in terms of like managing a business, you know, if you have an office premises, then you, you need to pay rent or buy it. Um, that's a big ongoing fee. Mm-hmm. Um, automatically, if you do have that, then you need, I think it's like indemnity insurance and um, um, there's like another form of insurance that you need. So there's like two forms of insurance. There's contents insurance for all the stuff that you'd put into it. Um, there's the rent. Um, and then there's probably other stuff on top of that. And so by just having a team working remotely, you just miss all of that, which is brilliant. And it makes your company a lot more investable because you can keep your cash flow quite steady early on. Um, so that was an attractive prospect as well. Sure. But I actually, I actually think it's just more efficient. Um, you can just get a lot more done remotely than you can in an office because you're able to actually hold multiple conversations at the same time using tools like Slack. Um, and actually, if you look at a lot of office spaces now, they're all using all the remote working tools. So it's like, yeah. why, why are you all just like converging and commuting in an office um, and then and then using Slack? I mean, it, it was so funny when Slack do went home. down the other day because I saw so many people on Twitter saying <laughs> who worked in physical offices like, oh, no, now I'll have to actually go and get up from my desk and talk to my co-worker. <laughs> it is just so really funny. So funny. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was weird. Um, <laughs> Slap being down was like apocalyptic. Yeah, and also like working or having a remote business means when you're recruiting, you know, you have the choice of the entire world, not just a yeah. specific area. Yeah, so there's loads of positives. You don't you don't just have to pick people in your city. Pick people from anywhere in the world as long as they've got the right CV. Yep. Yeah, definitely. So it's kind of a practical solution for startups, but I also definitely agree that it's the way forward mm. and much more efficient um yeah and I mean one of the things I really like about working for you guys is the level of responsibility and freedom you give us all and I think obviously that does come partly from remote working um and so you strike a good balance between giving us support and mentorship but also allowing us to take the lead on projects and kind of use our initiative um so was it a conscious decision to run you this way rather than having a more hierarchical structure which perhaps could have come from having a physical office or did that just kind of evolve naturally well i think like it was always the plan that um, me and dan wanted to hire like the best people possible so like we got a lot of applications when we posted jobs like it was quite crazy like people literally were um sending us applications before we'd adv- um, advertised um so we sort of i think we shortlisted like what well, like 10% of the applications and then um, picked like one to begin with. Our first hire was Amy. Um, but we, we probably we probably sort of rejected about 25 or so for that first role. Mm-hmm. So yeah. um, so we, we just sort of like focused on like hiring quality people like yourself this year. Mm-hmm. And, um, and if you do that, then there's no reason why you shouldn't allow them um, to um, have like more responsibility and, and just place your trust in them because that's why you hired them. And, and I think like if you bestow a certain amount of trust in people, they just perform better. They want to, uh, they want to get their best, do their best for you. Um, whereas if you're sort of always like breathing down their neck, it can be a little bit stifling and, and it's hard to know really like what they're able to achieve because you're pulling the strings. Um, and that's not really something that's attractive to either of us. So, yeah, yeah, I think it was always like a sort of conscious decision that we wanted to give people freedom and 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 see how they perform. And they'll very soon sort of show us their 
um, what they're capable of. Yeah, and we and we don't want to, like Matt said, we don't want to, you know, nitpick on everything people do. We want to, we want people to know what they need to do, and they just go and do it every day. And we know they go, they do a good job. And so far, everyone's doing that. We yeah. that. You know, that means we can get on with what we need to do without worrying about what else is being done. It's, it's great. Yeah. Yeah, like you're starting this podcast, and you know that's totally your idea off your own back, and and you're going to manage it and market it in the way that you want to do it. But we know that you're going to do a, a good job of that. So Fingers crossed. If anyone's listening to this, then, they, then they've done the right job. So, yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, so that's great. Mm. I think we've got loads of really good, interesting insights into Q and your sort of background. So now it'd be great if we could talk about marketing for a bit. Um, so we've kind of touched on this. It's really exciting working at Q because we're always building new tools and products. And I really love how if someone has an idea within the space of a few days, we've just built a brand new product and we can launch it. Um, cool. Can you talk about some of the ways Q has had to adapt to recent changes in the social media space? Yeah, I mean, for us, it was really bad timing with the Twitter changes. Um, basically, they, they're stopping people sending the same message across multiple Twitter accounts and stopping duplicate content. So you can't say the same thing like over and over again from the mm. same Twitter account. So we were literally about to launch the new Q scheduler when this was happening. Uh, but we had to obviously change everything the way it worked uh, because of that. Um, we, I think we may have gone too far with how responsible we are with it because obviously we, we, we stop people sending the same thing across not only Twitter, but Facebook, LinkedIn, and basically all the social networks that we connect with. Um, so we are gonna go back on that a little bit, not with Twitter, but with Facebook. I think, I think you should be allowed to sort of send the same message to like Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, maybe at the same time, but I think tw what Twitter wanted to do from this was to stop those, you know, bots where there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of um, bots sending the same thing to manipulate trending topics from hashtags and things. It's not to stop businesses like you and me from posting the same thing every now and again. It's not, I don't think yeah. Twitter are going to get really annoyed about that. So I think in terms of how we adjusted our app for that, I think we adjusted it too far. But um, yeah, yeah, I think I we're, think we're, I, we're slowly going to test it over the next you know, couple of months. It's definitely sort of um, not gr we've not ground to a halt in terms of like our growth, but it's certainly uh, hampered it. Um, these like big changes, but I think like it, in terms of quality, which is basically core to our brand, um, it's actually a really good thing because yeah. we've got Q Promote. And um, that's where most of our content that goes into Q as a content suggestion comes from. Um, and those those customers um, put their their content into Q into Q because they want good quality engagement and they want good quality clicks. And if you've got people who are just sort of sending it out totally automated um, and they're not really reading it, not really engaging with it, then it, it's sort of not really worth it. You want people to actually sort of have a look at the article that, that is being suggested to them. It is a suggestion, after all. It's not something they have to post. And then, you know, craft their own share text. 
and make it something you know engaging that people want to click and want to read and and in their own voice so that it sounds you know it's got a bit of character and a bit of personality and that will naturally make people uh, click it and read it more so i think like what we're getting is like a better quality of engagement with the way that we've changed it and that's sort of like our hand was forced by these twitter policy changes so like in terms of like our marketing positioning i i would say that like once we're happy with how the product works uh, with all the changes that we've done, which we pretty much almost are now, we're probably going to be focusing more on the, the quality of engagement and trying to push that as a marketing um, angle because that really is where, like, where Q sort of prides itself most on on you know the product we deliver. Mm. Yeah, well, there's always so many changes happening in the kind of digital landscape, and mm. I think you obviously do have to adapt to them sometimes quite quickly but none of us really know exactly what's around the corner which makes it mm. an exciting space definitely um mm. but what do you think is the most important thing a business can do to market themselves online these days and that could be um a specific type of content or a kind of wider strategy i mean i i honestly think that like podcasts are uh, incredible um and i'm a big fan of video content I think like written content is fantastic and a lot of people enjoy um, consuming in its sort of really technical um, definition, like written content. But I, I think there's the accessibility um, in, our, in our busy lives of having, being able to listen to podcasts as we're driving, as we're commuting, and uh, even if we're like at the gym, like trying to keep fit uh, or, or before you go to bed, like just being able to like listen to a podcast and absorb so much information. Like I listen to Audible and, and um, various podcasts all the time while I'm working even. So, yeah, so it's nice because it's like you can't read a book or you can't continually read articles whilst you're doing something, but you can with media like that. So I don't know. I think that, that like the, the big wins in the sort of coming years with the way people's lifestyles are now probably around like podcasts and and, and video content but um uh, i mean in terms of like how a, a new company should market themselves i know that we're a bit biased but I'd probably say like content marketing <laughs> because um you can do it so affordably um compared to um just funneling money into things like google ads and facebook ads and it's it very hard to like quantify what actual return you get and what quality you get but um content marketing doesn't just provide you with a, uh, a means of traffic it also sort of labels your brand as a as a um, an authority in your space so it, it, it serves so many purposes and it's and it's very cheap to do it so i would say that's the starting point for most startups definitely i, don't know. I mean Dan, dan's really good on the ad side of things so maybe you'd, you'd beg to differ i don't know no i wouldn't no i I am not a fan of ads in general. I don't think the public are either, unless it's really something they search for and you're at the top. Um, that's why Google ads are probably better than Facebook ads. No one wants to see ads in their newsfeed. Um, mm. But yeah, I would agree with that. I think content marketing is the way to go, You know, especially for startups. If you're creating a product for people, you're obviously knowledgeable in that area. So start writing about it whether that's on Medium or your own blog. I think that's that's a good good stepping stone. Yeah, and it's so easy to do nowadays, especially for yeah, platforms like Medium. Yeah. Um, 
which actually brings me on to my next question. How much of a role would you say your personal brands play in growing Q? Because, yeah, let's say you use Medium, obviously you're more likely to do it from a personal profile, perhaps. Yeah, I think um, when, I, when we first started Q, um, it was really important to network with a lot of the big names in content marketing and social media, product management and things like that. Um, and it, that's really hard, obviously, to start talking to like Sujan Patel when you're basically a nobody or the Usain mm -hmm. Bokov typing I was, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, to, to start having a, an actual conversation with people like that to say, hey, why don't you put your content into this you know, category and others will share it. It sounds nice, but when you're asking people like that, that are really busy to do things like that, it's really, it's really, really hard. So to build that network of people, you need to graft, you need to, to get in touch with them, but not ask anything initially, just be really nice, start doing things for them, start sharing their post. And before you know it, they'll recognize you. And then that's when you can potentially ask for something, even though it's, yeah. even if it might be beneficial for them, like you promote was. Um, but at that time, obviously, my personal brand wasn't wasn't anywhere. But I think over time, it's certainly built out for something where I'm probably known for mostly in the product hunt community and now social media. And so we've talked about current trends like podcasts, for example. But do you have any predictions for the future of content and social media marketing? Where yes. do you think it will go in the next few years? I think in terms of written content, uh, I think interactivity is something that will that will come into fruition. And I only say that because I've just developed a tool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go on, Dan, plug plug your tool. Why don't you? <laughs> well, it's not even developed. It's sort of just conceptualized on sketch, <laughs> as you've seen, as you've seen. Um, but I think yeah. if you can, if you can interact with content more, it will be, it would, it obviously it'll be more engaging, you know, ask you a question halfway through, or you can, or you can ask questions based on what they say. Um, or you can listen to a pod, uh, listen to a blog like you recorded one yesterday, obviously, and I was listening to it this morning. Um, mm -hmm. I think just more ways to, to listen or to view or to interact with content would be something that's going to be in the next year or two. Yeah, I mean, from my point of view, I pretty stick stick pretty firmly by um, what I said earlier that I think podcasts and video content are the way forward. But I think to get more granular on that, I think in the same way that content marketing in in recent years has focused on, are you still connected? Am I still connected? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's weird. I got like a weird sound in my headphones. Sorry. Mm. Um, I think like in the same way that like uh, content marketing for like written stuff has. Um, focused on quality i think podcasts and um and probably like video need to like these creators will need to start focusing on real quality not just churning out relentless um, episodes of things i think it needs to be like really delivering something that people can can use and take home and get like pleasure from and, and use from yeah. so I, I think there's a lot of of um fluff out there at the moment uh, and actually like you know hearing from like the right people for the for your audience and really focusing on like how high quality your content is is going to be probably the biggest trend i think that's all we've got time for today 
Um, but before you guys go, can you tell our listeners where they can keep up with you? Go on, Matt. You can go first. T- totally. I totally can. Um, so, like, I actually probably spend, like, most of my time on Instagram, to be honest. So I'm at Matthew Spur on Instagram. And I'm basically always just posting stuff about my remote working life. Um, so it's all about Q, entrepreneurship and remote working. But at Matthew Spur on Instagram is probably your best bet for engaging with me. And I'm basically available anywhere at Daniel Kemp. Nice and easy. And Kemp spelled with an E on the end because it's magic. Because cool. it's magic. <laughs> what about you, Lucia? Where do people find you? You can find me at, at Lucia Fontina on, um, yeah, that's Twitter, Instagram, and also I write on Medium under that as well. Nice. Right, we've nice. all done our plugs now, so. Yeah. <laughs> thank you I, i'm privileged to be on your first podcast no yes. thank you for coming it's been really like obviously i knew quite a lot of stuff about you guys already learned some new things and it was a very good chat about startups and marketing and other fun things it was really good i hope you'll invite me back on again later in another episode definitely would love to <laughs> cool <laughs> Thank you for listening to our very first episode of Conversations with Q, with Q co-founders Daniel Kemp and Matthew Spur. We hope you enjoyed it, and if you'd like to have a chat with us about anything we discussed in this episode, feel free to tweet us at at Q underscore co, or call into our Anchor FM station, QCast. We'd also love it if you could give us some stars on iTunes so that more people can find out about us. We'll be back soon with some more fantastic guests. Thank you.